um, lyrics in the, in the last song reflected in the scripture this morning. We are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 through 16. I invite you now to listen to the word of God. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they, makes, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, the Jews, he, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For, he, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word. Lord, this seems like a text that is an issue so far, so long ago. But we know your word has the power to help us understand our lives, to know your will for us. Guide us now as we consider your word. Guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've been asked together to do something as a church, as a part of the, the vision of being equipped to do evangelism. 
We've asked you to bring up God in conversations. Now, trust me, I understand how big of an ask that is. We're, we're working on all of us being equipped with a real simple, clear way to present the gospel in conversations. And we, we've talked about the three circles of the gospel, which we've presented as the first circle being God's design for the world. There's a way things are meant to be. But second reality is the world is broken. <laughs> that can lead us into almost any discussion because people... People are easy to talk about the brokenness of the world and of our lives. The world is broken. But here's our hope. It's the third one. By God, in His love, He's provided the way of redemption for us in Christ Jesus. That's a, a way into a conversation about God. But it, it, in a sense, it just cracks the door open to, to even deeper conversations about God with people. And, and now we're going through some of the challenges, the criticisms and, and questions people may respond with or that, or that we might be asking ourselves. Like last week, the, the question of suffering and an all-powerful, all-loving God. Next week, we're going to look at the Bible and how, how can we claim that this book is authoritative? Today, we're going to consider the question of how can we say anything absolute about God, about God or anything, really? The passage considers questions of truth and manipulation and freedom and control and of love. And I want to make three observations out of this passage and, and in another scripture in regard to the question of absolutism. The first is, just to make the, the simple, clear observation, truth is important. Secondly, truth, truth makes us free. And finally, Jesus is the truth and more freeing than we could ever imagine. First, truth is important. Honestly, I think people are terrified of going into an election year. And I think that it comes down to our conception of truth being threatened. And at the end of the message, I'll say something about why in the end, I don't think Christians need to be afraid of the election, even if it doesn't go whatever way uh, that you want it to go. But the issue is a, is a fight over what is truth and real and better and right and wrong. In the modern, modern enlightenment world, we became enamored of, of truths, truths that we could discover and uncover and control in, in the material world. I, I know we have a number of engineers in our congregation and we are we are good at at really grasping the truth in, in the material world and we have a wonderful focus on and a and a growing mastery of the world through science and 150 years ago there was there was optimism that we could answer all the challenges in society and in life 
But the wars and destruction of the 20th century challenged that optimism. And in postmodernism, the, the pendulum swung the other way with Nietzsche and Foucault and, and existentialists. And, and, and then it all left us of being skeptical of being able to grasp any truth. And the only thing left then is that we, we each make up our own truth, true subjectivism. And, the, and it's the absolute, absolute, uh, opposite of absolutism. Big words. Opposite of absolutism, which then became a bad word. And Christians get accused of it and, and questioned for it. How can we possibly believe what we believe and ask anyone else to believe it? Our kind of belief in a God we cannot see it, it, ultimately, it doesn't fit completely comfortably either in the Enlightenment modern world or in the postmodern one. But it's turning out that making up our own truth is not really an answer to the questions we have in life either. And making up our own truth is it, it, it's harder, harder than nearly anything else. And it leaves us not even knowing who we are. And so we go shopping for truths, ultimately, to which we're attracted and are sold to us best. So even in the last 20 years, truth-making and finding and claiming is more and more a contested and confusing and complex question. And it's a marketplace and a battlefield. And this complexity and this confusion and conflict makes its way into news programs and politics and marketing and consumerism and, and meaning and relationships and spirituality and, and religion and just about everything, including our own notion of happiness and right and wrong and freedom and love. The philosophers started with the question of how do we know what we know thousands of years ago? And it's seemingly less clear and more contested than ever. This passage and others give us some things to think about. This, the passage. Paul is contesting claims of those who want to enslave people to practices of faith that were not necessary for them to believe. They would miss out then on all the, all the benefits of belief. Those whom Paul is critical of, we call the Judaizers. Jews for a century have had specific ways of expressing their faith and their identity, and things include circumcision and, and sacrifices and holidays and, and diets. When, when some of the Jews saw that their faith was fulfilled, when some of the Jews came to Christ, they, for the most part, continued to express that faith, their faith, in those traditional ways. But the question arose, when Gentiles came to faith, were these practices required of them? Did they have to become Jews to become Christians? And Paul says, no. The Judaizers said, yes. 
Peter, by this point, has been influenced by the Judaizers. So Paul confronts him with a, with a different truth that doesn't exert this form of control. He has an appropriate name for this truth. He calls it good news, the gospel. For it's a truth that doesn't control and enslave. It's a truth that brings real freedom. That there's no conditions on coming to trust in Jesus. Anyone can do it. You don't need to become Jewish first. Think of how significant this is. Nothing stands between you and the opportunity to believe, to give your life to Christ, to trust him for your salvation. You don't have to be Jewish first or dress a certain way or have any certain political viewpoint or have your act cleaned up before you come to Jesus. Just come. Let him love you and save you. There are no barriers. Just trust him. Believe him, for he is faithful. It doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries and expectations. We can see them even in this passage. Becoming a Jew is not a boundary, but Peter and Paul agree that caring for the poor is still important. You see, in general, the wealth of the day in, in that time was in the Gentile community. That's where the wealth lied. And in general, the Jews were poor. And so Peter's making the point to Paul, when Gentiles become Christians, don't forget caring for the needs of your Jewish poorer brothers and sisters. And Paul readily agrees. He had no, no plans to leave the Jews behind. And the picture he's painting is that real truth carries with it freedom and love. Here's what's amazing about Christianity. We hold a truth that does have restrictions and expectations. Tr truth simply does. To say one thing is true is also to say that something conflicting with it is not. One is not two. A Christian is not necessarily a Jew, but it can be. To our modern, postmodern mind, that doesn't sound like freedom. We think freedom means that there's no boundaries. But faith in this good news, it does bring boundaries. But these boundaries, these, these restrictions, also bring freedom. All of us believe in truths. C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man says, you cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you have explained explanation itself away. Here's what he means. If all you do is look through truth claims for power plays, the entrapment and enslavement and manipulation, you never actually get to see the truth. And if you claim all truth claims are just power plays, unnecessary restrictions, well, that's a truth claim and, and clearly a power play itself. The question is not so much if we should have truths. We all have them, and we live by them. They give us boundaries and understandings by which we can live. The question is not if we should have truth claims, but what is in the truth claims. 
The world says truth claims lead to oppression and the loss of freedom. In John 8, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Of course, it depends on the truth. Not all truth claims lead to freedom. The truth claims of the Judaizers didn't. Jesus confronts truth claims himself of the, of the Pharisees all the time. But Jesus and John 8 in this passage make a statement that real truth, rather than constraining, is freeing. That's why Paul calls this in verse 5, good news. Keller in his sermon on this topic illustrates the freedom of Jesus through the reaction of the Amish community to a shooting in an Amish school where a man came in and killed a number of school children. By any definition, the Amish are, are fundamentalists with, with strong beliefs. One of the girls who was killed offered to die for the rest of them. Kill me and let the rest go, she said. It wasn't some heroism that she learned from the movies or TV. They don't even, they don't even watch those. The community itself, including the bereaved families, immediately expressed, miraculously, forgiveness and took up a collection for the shooter's widow and children. Here's how the community and the girl could respond the way they did. These, these fundamentalists have a fundamental belief in a man who died for his enemies whose last breath was of forgiveness for those who were killing him. That's not a picture of oppression. If you have any experience with a lack of forgiveness, you have a picture of oppression of someone's hurt. This, this belief in this truth, this is a picture of freedom, a belief in truth that leads to miraculous freedom. If our culture believes that freedom means the ability to make up our own truths, I, I, I simply don't find this to work. People can't make up truths that do that. I believe that there are truths that can make us free, that give us freedom, and it's not just any truths we want. It's the truth of the good news. The truth of the good news leads to thinking about freedom. Freedom in our culture, as I said, was anything that does not restrict our desires or wants, at least anything that does not appear to hurt anyone else. But this simply doesn't work. Biblical and real freedom is not just a lack of restrictions. Freedom is the right restrictions, the right boundaries, the right rules and guidelines and laws and ways of doing things. A, a, a fish lying on the ground, on the grass, is not free. It's free when it swims in the water. These are restrictions that, that don't oppress you and, and put you under anyone's control, except God's. But real truth brings fulfillment and contentment, hope, love, everything you are and are meant to be and to do. 
Finally, these, these, these seemingly diametrically opposed things come together, truth and freedom and love. Love is the greatest form of freedom. This is, this is how it happens. And try to explain this. In the Greek world, the, the, the word that embodied the notion of this most beautiful kind of truth was, is the word logos. We translate it as word. And, and it's just the idea that the thinking the right thoughts, the, the right truth, that, that reason is where freedom and meaning and life come from. If we just have a, a good relationship with the right thoughts and thinking, our lives are going to be fulfilled. Modernism is very related to that. Descartes' notion of I think, therefore I am. As much as we possess truth, the right thinking, we have life. By the way, Presbyterians can kind of get stuck getting that far. But the Bible has a much more expansive view, much more expansive picture of truth. John begins his gospel saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. So far, the Greek person is with you, until a few verses later when John turns the idea of the Word into something completely different. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among you, among us, full of grace and truth. Truth and grace and life and meaning and purpose and freedom. Now they become personal. A person shows up who is truth and freedom. This is different. A, a third key element arrives that the Greeks didn't consider. Love. And love is not contained in a notion that we can possess. All of it has come to us in a person. And this, it's a person we can have a relationship with. And this relationship, like any, it, it has boundaries, it has restrictions to it. I, I love my wife. And out of love for her, I don't, I don't get to do anything I want to do or to be anything I want to be because I love her. And we're committed to each other. And I, I don't get to tell her to do and be anything I want, her to be, I want her to be either. We don't get to tell God or Jesus who they are or what, or what we would have them, him do for us. But when we investigate the truth of this relationship and see who he is, we see the glory of God and, we, and what he is to us. And we see creator and redeemer and Lord. And we find out in this relationship, we have truth and we have freedom. And we have love in their fullest forms for us that give us meaning and purpose and life. And it's a much fuller, more meaningful understanding than what the Greeks thought about word and truth. 
It's not a relationship with an idea. It's a relationship with a person, a living God who loves us more than we could ever ask or imagine, certainly more than we deserve. Truth is hard in our world, so hard that postmodernism has been trying to give up on it and let us each make up our own truth. And that's, that's just not working out too well. I think you could say it's, the, it, it's maybe the greatest source of our anxieties and anger as a world these days, particularly on younger generations. It, it really hasn't been a source of life and freedom ever since Adam and Eve tried to decide for themselves what's better. There's a moment in the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Pilate doesn't think Jesus is guilty, but is being pressured to condemn him. So he throws up his hands and gives in with an exclamation, what is truth? Meaning, I don't know. And he goes on ahead and he condemns Jesus. He may despair of knowing or caring about the truth, but the irony is he's looking right at Jesus standing before him, who is the truth. In our faith, the truth, the word, has come to us in Jesus. And it's not that he's not demanding. I keep thinking of my favorite line in any hymn. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We do have boundaries and restrictions in this relationship, in this truth, that asks everything of us. But we also have forgiveness and grace in this relationship to truth, to Jesus. And as much as is required of us, so, so much more is offered. And this truth that we can come to freely and without any prerequisites, this good news, this relationship with Jesus, this truth is where real freedom lies. And a greater love and purpose and meaning for all of us than we ever could have imagined. I believe that there is truth and we can start to really see it and, and see, in, see in it freedom and love. See it when we see the truth finally in Jesus. And it's good news. Let's pray. Lord, this has been one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to prepare because, I mean... Who thinks about this stuff? Who cares about this stuff on a Sunday morning in church? And yet, Lord, it, it's so important for all of us. And Lord, as we struggle with truth and, and right and wrong and elections and all the stuff we struggle with in our lives, Lord, help us ultimately to come to you, to see you in your word and see your grace and your goodness and your glory and join with all the angels and sing holy, holy, holy. For you are the Lord, Lord. 
And we are grateful that the truth has come to us in the Son. And we find our freedom and a love we never could have imagined in you. Lord, guide us to know the truth in knowing you. Thank you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.